0: Hope you'll turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 3. We're looking at the conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And we're looking at it from a very particular angle. We're looking at the nature of the church. The church. And we're seeing how the church is not merely something to be present in. It is something to be part of. And as glad as I am that you are present here today, I want more for you. I want you to be part of the church. I want you to share in The very life of God as he moves in you and through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we long for. That's what we want. And last week we saw how despite Nicodemus and despite his many efforts to be a good, moral, religious person, he's a Pharisee. He's a leader among the Jewish people. Despite all his efforts, Jesus says he's missing the one vital thing. He says, you must be born again. And unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus questions this and says, well, that doesn't make any sense to me, Jesus. I'm an old man. How can an old man enter again into the womb of his mother? That doesn't, that doesn't compute And Jesus repeats it, Truly, truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit, unless the Spirit of God performs a sanctifying work in their hearts and lives. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You must be born again. And Jesus compares it to the wind. He says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, you can't control this. And that's one of the hardest things you can ever say to a human being. This is out of your control. This is completely out of your control. And as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to know that we aren't in charge of the church. We can't really control the church. Oh sure, we can make plans, we can vote on things, we can talk about things. But really, in its essence, the church is beyond our control. And this is what Jesus is impressing upon Nicodemus and what I want to impress upon you today is that the church is utterly unique in this world. Utterly unique. Now, if you think about the founding of this particular church, if you go out in the hallway on your way out, you'll see a couple of plaques on the walls. On one of them, you'll see that this church was founded by some individuals who started a Sunday school class out of First Baptist Church of Raleigh, and there's a plaque with their names dedicated to them. And you might say, well, okay, so this church was founded by those individuals. Sounds pretty human, pretty earthly. But That's pretty common. That's how institutions begin. But if you read carefully, on that plaque it says, this is dedicated to those consecrated individuals. Consecrated individuals. This wasn't something that individuals just took upon themselves to do. This was the Spirit of God moving them, consecrating them to a bold missional effort. And so what I hope to show you is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is so much more than an earthly institution with a heavenly destination. It is that. But it's so much more than that. It is so much more than an earthly institution made up of human beings with a heavenly destination. It is a heavenly institution with an earthly mission. It is a heavenly institution with an earthly mission. May the Holy Spirit help us to see this as we look at these verses together. So we pick up our reading at verse 9. How can this be, Nicodemus asked, The one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The utter uniqueness of the church, the heavenly character of the church. Now some of you may say, well, that sounds good, That the church is a heavenly institution, but Dane, I need to tell you, I've actually spent some time in the church. You may want to say with Nicodemus, How can this be? Because I can tell you, the church is very earthly. What is this heavenly character you speak of? How can this be? And indeed, those of us who have spent any time in the church, even one Sunday in the church, We know good and well that this is also an earthly institution. It's made up of people, and you know how people are. People will be people. They can be mean, they can be narrow-minded, they can be judgmental, and they can be generous. They can be kind, they can be compassionate. But it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. So it is very much an earthly institution. We are in a building made out of bricks and mortar. We're sitting in pews made out of wood, all made by human hands. But what we're talking about today is the essential character of the church, the very life of the church, as the spirit-born family of God, the spirit-born family of God, those who have been born again Not of their own choosing, not because of anything they've done or said, not because of anything they've earned, but because of the sovereign work of the Spirit in their lives. That's the essential character. So we're talking about the church, capital C, that transcends denominational differences and divisions between local churches and racial and ethnic divisions. We're talking about the essential character of the church. And the essential character of the church is heavenly. We only exist because the Spirit of God has enabled us to be born again, right? That's really why we exist. You want to know whether a church exists or not? Well, has anybody been born again? Has the Spirit of God been at work or not? It's not in the name. It's not in the sign. It's not in the website. It's not in how many people are in the pews. It's, has anybody been born again? Well, then there's a true church. Praise God. But if they haven't been, it's not a church. They may have pews. They may sing hymns. They may open the Bible. But if the Spirit of God hasn't done that saving work in anyone's lives, it's not a church. No matter how much they may think it is. No matter how much money they've given. No matter how long they've been a member. A church is founded by God. The Spirit of God, saving people, molding people into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to clarify some things here at the outset, because what do we mean by heaven? What do we mean by earth? There's a lot of confusion about this today. What does Jesus mean when he speaks of earthly things and heavenly things? So many of us today, both people outside the church, people inside the church, suffer from an impoverished view of heaven. An impoverished view of heaven. They think of heaven, and we sometimes think of heaven, as merely a place that you go to after you die. It's a destination, point of arrival. It's something that is... Far, far away from earth. And that's simply not the biblical view. Now in the Bible, sometimes when it speaks of the heavens, it just means what we would call the sky. Think of the first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that means the sky, the universe, our solar system. But scripture also points to heaven as the place where God is most fully manifest. Because God is present everywhere, right? He is omnipresent. There is nowhere that you can can go to escape from his presence. He's not just limited to heaven. But God does not show up everywhere. This is the critical distinction. Heaven is the place where God is most fully manifested. You cannot be in heaven and not know and experience the very presence of God. That's one thing to know. The other thing to know is that heaven, understood from a biblical point of view, is actually not that far away. It's like another dimension of reality that we know exists, but we can't quite reach out and grab it. You can think of concentric circles. And every now and then, heaven breaks into this earth and this world. Sometimes it takes the form of a burning bush, where heaven and earth coincide and God reveals himself. Sometimes it takes the form of a parting sea. Sometimes it takes the form of Loaves of bread and fish being multiplied. Either way, this is when heaven and earth collide, and heaven makes itself known to us by the power of God. It's actually not that far away. It's very important to remember that. But it's like another dimension of reality. It's not off in the clouds somewhere. It's not off in the sky somewhere. It's overlapping. And this is why eternal life, heavenly life, is available to you now. You don't have to wait till you die. Jesus came and said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm bringing heaven to you now. So we need an enriched understanding of heaven. as More than just a destination. But so many people have what I would call it a, a, a parachute faith. They think, well, you know, All that stuff about God's judgment on sin, all that stuff about hell that might be right, and so I need to have a parachute just in case. So just tell me the bare minimum that I need to do or say to make sure I've got my parachute just in case I can rip that thing open so I'll be safe, okay? I don't want to have too much religion. I don't want to have too much God. I don't want him to dictate my daily decisions, but I want to make sure I'm at least on good terms with him. Parachute faith oh no. Oh no. The church is more than an earthly institution with a heavenly destination. It is a heavenly institution. But we also suffer from an impoverished view of the earth. Here's what I mean. So often we limit our understanding of earth to bare materialism. All that there is is what you can hear, smell, see, taste, or touch. That's basically all there is. Oh, there may be a little something more to it, but that's basically all there is. That's all we can know for certain. But see how different the biblical worldview is. The earth is the stage upon which God has chosen to showcase his glory The sunlight that's coming in these windows right now, that's the glory of God being showcased. It's on full display all around us. Do you see it? Do you appreciate it? This is the stage upon which God works and moves and makes himself known to sinners like us. May God spare us from an impoverished view of heaven. As well as an impoverished view of the earth. That's essential background for understanding what Jesus says here. But Nicodemus is saying, How can this be? How can this be? After everything that I've done, I'm a Pharisee. I care about holiness, I care about purity. I have done everything I can to be an upstanding moral person. And I've been pretty good at it because it's been recognized by my peers in Israel. They've made me a leader of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And yet Jesus comes along and says, You must be born again. Entrance into the kingdom of God has nothing to do with your accomplishments, it is beyond your control. And so if you want to know what is heavenly about the church, if you want to know what is utterly unique, then you need to know that the life of the church, the lifeblood, the power of the church as the spirit-born family of God is beyond our control. But, don't miss this part, don't miss this, it is not beyond our capacity to know. Very, very important truth. It is beyond our capacity to control, but it's not beyond our capacity to know it. Notice what Jesus says You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? He says, I've been using this concrete language. I've been talking about being born again. I've been talking about the wind, and you don't seem to get it that this is beyond you. Because very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen and still you people do not accept our testimony. We need to get the balance right. The essential character of the church is something we cannot control. We cannot manipulate it. And I'm afraid so often, we in the pews, those of us in the pulpit, the church spend way too much time on the things we can't control and not enough time on the things we should be knowing <laughs> what do i mean well churches can get desperate sometimes and especially right now we're coming out of a pandemic Churches are trying to gain their footing. Where do we go from here? People have found different patterns. They found other things to do on Sunday mornings. Are they going to come back? People are are, are wringing their hands. What are we going to do? Maybe we need to make a change in our leadership. Maybe we need to change the church fundamentally. Maybe we need to do something radical. We get desperate. And when we get desperate, and this includes churches, when we get desperate, we start getting pragmatic. Pragmatic. We just want to get results. What will work? And if it works, it must be right. No, This is a heavenly institution with an earthly mission. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be careful with this balance. So often we obsess over how we can get more people in our worship services without bothering to ask Are we worshiping? Are we worshiping? Never mind more people. Are you worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ when you come into the house of God? Or not? Pure pragmatism. We obsess over trying to accommodate everyone's preferences. What do you want? What do I want? Your guess is as good as mine. Without bothering to ask about the preferences of our Heavenly Father. What does He want? What would He have us to be doing? Principles. The church cannot afford to fall into the trap of pragmatism. It's pure idolatry. We think we can control it. If we have just the right strategy, if I preach the perfect sermon, if we have just the right plan, if we have the perfect pastor, if we have more people, if we have just the right programming, it'll all work. That's out of our hands. Our job is to be faithful, to stand upon our principles, to make sure we are doing the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. Stand on principle, stand firm, no matter how lonely you may feel, no matter how many fall into the trap of pragmatism, God's word is certain and he is faithful and he honors his word. This is his church, not mine, not yours, it's his, amen, amen, it is his church, So we focus too much on what we can't control instead of focusing on what we can know. What are these things that Jesus says, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people don't understand it. Well, first we need to ask, why is he using the first person plural here? Why is he saying we? Probably what he means is is his people, his followers, those who have tasted that the Lord is good. Those who know As he says in in John 1, verse 16, out of his fullness, that is the fullness of Christ, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is what we can know. Is there anything heavenly that you can testify to today? Have Have you seen anything? Do you know anything? What can happen? So often is that churches, especially older churches, churches that have a long and illustrious history. We can live off the fumes of prior generations. We know the Holy Spirit was working powerfully and mightily in that in that last generation, and the fumes of that power and those effects we're still drawing on that, and we remember those glory days. And we want more of that, but we're not seeking a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit now. We're we're resting on our laurels. We need to encounter God. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us. Yes, you receive the Holy Spirit when you're a believer, on every single believer. We celebrate this at Pentecost. But did you realize the Holy Spirit can also make Himself known at other times, not just at your conversion? When when you have a fresh sense of God's power, a new passion for the kingdom of God, you have full assurance that He is God, that you can be still and know that He is God, where He has made Himself known as your shield, as your deliverer. Have you tasted that? Have you seen that? Can you tell anybody about that? I'm afraid this is part of our problem today is that we can't. It's because we're not seeking fresh, powerful encounters with the Lord, and therefore we have nothing to share with anybody else. If I ask you right now, what is the Lord showing you in your daily walk with him right now? Hmm. I really thought about that. Is there any passage of scripture that you're memorizing right now? Memorize scripture? Really? Oh, yes. This is the word of God. If you want to know him, read his word. Ingest it. Impress it upon your hearts and your minds. When was the last time you can say, God showed up? And I'll never forget it. But when we haven't had those experiences, when we don't have anything to testify to, we haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good for ourselves, for ourselves. When we're just living off the fumes of somebody else, you're you're just feeding off my passion and my energy. Well, then, when we have opportunities to tell somebody just how good and how great God is, we miss it. When was the last time you had a gospel conversation with another human being? be honest. Days? Weeks? Years? Ever? And if you've never had a gospel conversation, if you've never told anybody about this God, well then, do you know him in the first place? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen May God pour out His Spirit upon this church, upon you and upon me, so that we have something to say. Because we know it firsthand. It's no proxy faith. It's not my parents' faith. It's not my grandparents' faith. It's mine by the power of the Holy Spirit and His grace. May that be our prayer. It's not beyond our capacity to know. And all of that rests on what Jesus says in verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The church, in its essential character, in her essential character, she derives her life from the life of the one who has brought heaven to earth. And we may get confused about this. So does this mean Moses or David haven't gone to heaven? No, what Jesus is saying is that no one has gone into heaven so as to come back and make heaven known to us. For everyone else, it's a one-way ticket, one-way street. But Jesus is at home in heaven with his heavenly Father. As we read in John 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but... The one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The church is heavenly. The church has an utter uniqueness about her because our founder came from heaven to earth and brought heaven to earth when he came. This is why we must not put Jesus in the category of a Muhammad, a Buddha, any other founder of a religion. Jesus claimed so much more for himself. And you can reject it out of hand say, he was crazy. But you can't deny the claims that he made. So what do you do with that? He says, no one has come from heaven like I have. No one can reveal heaven to you. No one... Can open up this other dimension of reality to show you who God is and what He does for you and what He wants to do in your life. No one. And Jesus here shows Himself to be fully divine, partaking of all the divine attributes. He's all knowing, He's all powerful, He's all present, and yet fully human. He is the Son of Man, fully human. His tears are the same as your tears. His hunger and his thirst are identical to yours and mine. His temptations are just as powerful as yours and mine. And yet, he conquered where we have failed. And therefore, he is uniquely able to make all this known to us. But I'm afraid so often, we go through life blindfolded. It's been said we're cruel to ourselves when we do this. We ignore what God has said. We ignore the ways that God has made himself known to us in earthly terms. Never mind heavenly truth, in earthly terms. We ignore all that. We think we can find our own way. And that's why there's so much confusion in the world. You're looking at a world that is trying to live its life blindfolded without looking to its creator to know what the creator has said about how we are to live in this world. Don't live blindfolded. Don't live blindfolded. Don't be cruel to yourself. He has graciously made himself known by sending his one and only son to be the son of man. And not only that, we see in verse 14 that the church owes her life. She doesn't just derive her life, she owes her life to the only one who is suspended between heaven and earth to save sinners like you and like me. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Just as that snake, that bronze snake that God told Moses to make, symbolized the curse upon the people, God's punishment upon the people, so also the Lord Jesus stands in the place of sinners. He became a curse for you and for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for Dane Hadley so that through him, Dane Hadley might become the righteousness of God. If that doesn't humble you, nothing will. Nothing will. So, how do you access that? Believe. Look up. Don't look sideways, don't look behind you. Look up. Look up and be saved. Look to Him. Crucified for you and for me. The only one who's come from heaven. The only one who's lived a life we have not lived that I have not lived that you have not lived and that we will not live. That very same One. The Righteous One. The Holy One of God. Crucified at the hands of sinners. Handed over to sinners for you and for me. Bleeding. Dying. Accursed forsaken, abandoned for you and for me. Not for good people, not for good people, but for people who know their need, who know their desperation. He founded the church. He bought you and he bought me if we belong to him with his own blood. How dare we trifle with that? How dare we Try to control the church. How dare we take this for granted? This is His church. Treat it as such. Love it as such. It's the body of Christ. And if you're not sure that you've shared in this, if God is moving in your heart and your life in a way you've never felt before, you've never known before, Look up! Don't look at me. Look up. Look to Him. Look to Jesus, the crucified one. And in Him, you can have life. Eternal life. Heavenly life. Not one day. Not just after you die. But right now in this room in 2021. 2021. Because eternal life is not just about its duration, it's also about its quality. This is life that can empower you through the worst trials you will ever face in your life. When life is at its starkest, when life is at its darkest, when you don't know where to turn, and you know there is no one who can save you, this life can sustain you. I promise you, He is as good as His Word God does not lie. He cannot lie. He promises you eternal life. Rest in Him. Trust in Him. Look up. Look up. Eternal life. Heaven on earth. Now. And remember, this is a heavenly institution with an earthly mission. Go tell somebody about Him. If you know, yes, He's up there on that cross for me. He bled for me. He gave himself for me. He was raised to new life for my justification, for my righteousness. I can't claim any credit for this. I didn't do anything to earn this. If you believe that's true, who are you going to tell? We can't keep this inside if it's real. If you know you have had a death sentence decreed over your life and you've been freed, you can go home. You have life. You're not just going to look the other way. Just go about your business. No, you're going to tell somebody. Who are you going to tell? Who is a friend? Who is a family member? Who is a, a random stranger that you can tell about Jesus? No, you can't win them to Christ. That's out of your hands. But you can tell them about Christ. Are you doing that much? Am I doing that much? pray that we will by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look up. Look up. Look up and be saved, every single one of us, I pray, as we go to the Lord now. Dear Lord, as your word, your gospel goes forth, I pray that it would do so with your spirit, with a demonstration of power so that our faith might not rest in anything human beings can do or build, but so that it might rest in you and in what you have done for us. Lord, this is your church. And this church is not stamped with made in the USA or made in China. It's stamped with made in heaven. And I pray for everyone in this room that there would be a heavenly character about their lives. A heavenly flavor so that others can see made in heaven. The Spirit of God has been at work in our lives in a unique way. An utterly unique way. Lord, may we never forget what you have done for us. May we never get over it. May we never trample or forsake what you have done for us. For us. But instead, may we be emboldened by what you have done for us. May we be zealous and passionate in making you known. Not ourselves. Lord, we don't want any glory in ourselves. We want you to be exalted. We want Jesus Christ to be exhibited as we live on mission. And We praise you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Lord, may that strengthen us today. And I pray for anyone who is in doubt right now. Lord, give them a full assurance of what you have done for them. For anyone who has yet to receive you, Lord. Lord, maybe they look up and be saved today. May this be the day of salvation. And for all of us, may we stand in awe. May we stand in gratitude for all you are and for all you have done for us, where we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.